Hey, good to have everybody today. I'm going to talk about life and living in hard times. If you haven't had any, buckle up. You will. Everybody will. I'm going to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, first eight verses. Paul says, so when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know very well we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you there would be persecution. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just like we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now, we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Well, what do you do when your world caves in? How does a Christian respond when hard times come? And what can we do to keep our faith strong during those hard times? because all of us face those questions, because we all go through deep yogurt eventually. Amen. And when that happens, everything you say you believe is going to be put on the firing line. Many years ago, I learned an important truth. When hard times come, be a student, not a victim. Over 20 years have passed since that day, and I still regard that simple sentence as one of the most profound things I have ever heard. Some people go through life, you know, as professional victims, always talking about how they've been mistreated. But perpetual victimhood will doom you to a life of self-centered misery because you learn nothing about your trials. So what a difference it makes to be a student and not a victim. For example, a victim says, why did this happen to me? A student says, what can I learn from this? A victim blames other people for their problems. A student asks, how much of this did I bring on myself? A victim looks at everybody else and cries out, life's not fair. A student looks at life and said, what happened to me could have happened to anybody. A victim you know, he, he believes his hard times have come because God's trying to punish him. A student understands God allows hard times in order to help us grow. A victim would rather complain than find a solution, but a student has no time because he's busy making the best of the situation. A victim feels so sorry for himself, he has no time for others. A student, therefore, focuses on helping others so he doesn't have time to feel sorry for himself. A victim begs God to remove the problems of life so he can be happy, whatever that is. 
and a student has learned through the problems of life that God alone is the source of any happiness I have, not my circumstances, right? That's the true Christian position. We believe so much in the sovereignty of God that when hard times come, we know that God is at work for our good and His glory. Now, in our scripture I just read, 1 Thessalonians 3, Paul writes to some new believers who suddenly found themselves in great difficulty, and you will too. They're being persecuted for their faith in Jesus, and our text shows how Paul reassured them. Now, from that passage, I want to share with you five simple truths about hard times. Truth one, our trials are always unsettling, right? Paul says, so when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. So we sent Timothy, who is our brother, God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You ever had anybody say, settle down, get a grip? Because when you go through a mess, a difficult time, a setback, a tragedy, you get unsettled. You know, you had things kind of rolling on autopilot, and then bam, you get hit with turbulence, and you're unsettled, and you need help to be settled down. Two key words in this last phrase, the Greek word for unsettled actually means to wag the tail, <laughs> and you're the tail. It has the idea of being shaken by circumstances, so you fall away from the right path in life. The word trial comes from a Greek word that has the idea of being under the thumb because of pressure from above. M many of you know that experience of unrelenting pressure from circumstances that keeps you awake at night, saps your strength during the day. Now, when I look at the New Testament and I look at its teaching regarding trials, two important truths always stand out. First, <laughs> you ain't going to like it. Trials are the common lot of every Christian. Nobody gets exempt. No one gets a trouble-free ride to heaven. Didn't Jesus say, in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Now, second thought. Your particular trial doesn't matter as much as how you respond to it. That's kind of a revolutionary thought to some people, because often we focus, you know, intently on the details of our problem as if that were the most important thing in the world. You know, it may seem important at the moment, but not really. God is a lot more interested in how I respond to my trial than the trial itself. And that's because most of the time, not always, but most of the time, you don't have a choice about the bad things that happen to you, or you wouldn't have any of them happen to you. Usually they just happen without any rhyme or reason, but you can control how you respond, in faith or unbelief, in humility or in arrogance, in forgiveness or in anger, in hope or despair. You get to choose. So our trials often come with very little warning. Nabil Kueshi was interviewed on American Family Radio recently about his book called No God But One, <clears throat> Allah or Jesus. He was raised in a Muslim family, and Nabil became a Christian after reading the New Testament for himself and encountering the claims that Jesus made. 
During the interview, he sounded strong and confident in all of his answers. That was on Thursday. The following Tuesday, he had to announce he had been diagnosed with advanced stomach cancer, and the prognosis was grim. But that's how life is sometimes. One day, you're, you're announcing a new book. A few days later, you're fighting for your life. You remember when Holly Wagner, a couple of years ago, was here? She's a breast cancer survivor, and she had just written a new book on overcoming trials. Of course, she was healthy and happy. And then she said, all hell broke loose. Soon as that book was released, I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. Now, the good news is Holly's well, fine. She beat the cancer. She's doing great. They're our dear friends. But I thought, how ironic, huh? How ironic. James chapter 1, verse 2 reminds us to count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Now, listen, that's not possible if I'm focused on the trial itself. But if I'll shift my focus to God and that all His promises are yes in Christ Jesus, then I can find joy even in the worst moments of my life. My thoughts are, I may not get out of it quick. It may not be painless. It may take longer than I think or even hope, but I will get through it. That will keep you alive. Uh, in POW camps, many of the officers and men that didn't make it gave up hope because they were too optimistic. They, were, they said, we'll be out by Easter, we'll be out by Christmas. And then pretty soon it didn't happen. But the leading POW there said, the ones that stayed alive, our ideology, our thinking was, we're not going to get out of Hanoi Hilton prison soon. It won't be easy. It's going to be longer than we think, but we will get out. And they made it. So if you've got to have a quick fix, it'll discourage and depress you, and pretty soon you'll abandon all hope. The second thought, our trials are appointed. Don't you like that? Paul says, you know quite well we were destined for them. Ah, they didn't happen by accident. In fact, this is the opposite of chance or circumstance. Roy Zuck writes, for the child of God, there are no accidents, just incidents. Now, that might be the best one-sentence summary of Romans 8.28 I've ever seen. No accidents. Incidents? Oh, yeah. Troubles? Yep. Heartache? Uh-huh. Difficulty? Yes. Disappointment? Yeah. Loss? Yeah. Failure? Oh, yeah. But accidents? Not a chance. There are no accidents with God, only incidents that are appointed by Him for our good and His glory. Everything that happens in the world is either caused by God or allowed by God. No third category. Nothing ever just happens, and nothing is caused by someone or something outside of God's control. Halt there just a second. Satan said to God, I can't get to Job. You've got to hedge around him. Now, that's revelatory for most Christians. Oh, okay, I do have a measure of protection. And God said to Satan, you can touch him, afflict him, but you can't kill him. Now, many of you aren't aware that God will set the boundaries of how much the enemy can advance in your life. He may afflict you, he may hurt you, he may delay you, but he cannot kill me until God gives permission. That ought to keep us very confident in our deep struggles.
See, that, that means there's no such thing as chance or fate or luck. The third great tooth regarding hard times, our trials are necessary. Yeah, hate that one. Verse 4, in fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out to be just like I said, as you well know. Now, I personally have much more confidence in somebody who is prepared for trouble and expects the possibility than somebody who goes through life singing, everything's going to come up roses. No, no, no. Hold on a minute. Let's, let me talk. I do my best to prevent it. I do my best to take uh, precaution against it. I think about the possibility in the unlikely event of, but at the end of the day, I am well aware it could happen. It still could happen, right? So I'm not going to lose my faith because I'm so optimistic that nothing bad can happen to me. Nonsense. Not, there's nothing in the Bible that says, I promise nothing will ever happen to you that hurts or is bad. No, you better read the Bible. You know, people were persecuted, killed, beheaded, hanged, tortured, fed to lions. And how's that for a starter? Okay? No, no, no. I mean, sometimes, you know, you get mad at God and he kind of, it's, I'm pretending, but he kind of, well, well, Becky, you said, use me. Well, honey, I'm using you. Because you, you, were, you were griping a while ago. I just feel used well, you told me to use you. Use me, Lord. He said, well, I am. You just don't like it. Shut up. See, we're already redeemed. We're already paid for. We already have eternal life. We have nothing to fear, not even death itself. So God doesn't mind using you. You just have to get over that, okay? Now, the truth is, every rose has its thorns. And the sooner we understand that, the happier we'll be. Romans 5, verse 3 and 4 spells out how that process works. He says, we also rejoice in our affliction because we know that affliction produces endurance and endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. Now, we all want hope. We just want affliction. If you want hope then and you want it in your heart, it starts with affliction that leads to endurance that produces proven character that results in the hope that, of the Holy Spirit filling me. He, he's going to fill me with hope. Let me return back to the guy I mentioned, Nabil Qureshi. When he announced his cancer in a Facebook post, he went on to give his testimony. And this is what he said. In the past few days, my spirits have soared and sunk as I pursue the Lord's will and consider what the future might look like. But never once have I doubted that Jesus is Lord, that his blood paid for my ransom, and by his wounds I am healed. I have firm faith that my soul is saved by the grace and mercy of the triune God and not by any accomplishment or merit on my own. I am so thankful I am a child of the Father, redeemed by the Son, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. No, in the midst of the story, I do not have to worry about my salvation. And for that, I praise you, O God. Now, that's the sort of faith that Paul has in mind for all of us. In Romans 5, we need to remember that trials are not all negative. They may, in fact, be a sign you're in the will of God. Thomas Constable has a very helpful word. He says, when trouble comes, Christians often react by doubting they're where God wants them to be. 
they often think they've done something wrong and that God must be displeased with them. Even some mature believers react that way, as evidenced by Paul's words of reassurance to Timothy years later. He writes, Tim, everybody who wants to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, would you get your pacifier out of your mouth and quit falling apart and blaming the media and blaming everybody else? He said, expect it. Now, that's our Savior. Expect it. It's going to come. Sorry. Don't try to be a jerk. Don't try to be, try to be obnoxious. But no matter if they persecuted and killed Jesus, the most perfect person in the whole world, what's your story? Yeah, we're all broken and flawed. But storms often come to believers to make them able to stand rather than to blow them away. You think about people that are strong. They've gone through a lot of storms. You didn't just show up strong. I mean, David didn't show up and take on a giant. First, he had been out whipping coyotes and lions and bears. I mean, he had, he had been doing some bad stuff way before he got to that giant. And you'll find that people who seem to hold it together when bad times come have been through other bad times, and it strengthens them. Hey, this isn't easy, but I've been here, done that, and got a T-shirt. That's why I say I want to hang out with people who have been where in the storm and through it, the one I'm in now. I want to talk to people who've already been where I am or where I'm going. They can help me. Somebody else can't help me. If somebody has made it through divorce and now they've got a, a life back on track, maybe they're re happily remarried, they could probably give me some advice if I were going through that. If somebody had been through a bankruptcy, but now they've got their life stable, they're back together financially, perhaps they could give me some words of advice. I, I want to talk to people with skilled in combat. You know, I am a military guy raised in a military family, and I do know that in combat, if you've just shipped out, you want to find out some veterans what you ought to know. They've already, they've already been there, done it, and they know, and they're still alive, so they know some things you shouldn't be doing. And everything you should be doing hasn't been taught in a seminar. It wasn't. When our boys went to Vietnam, they had to learn on the ground how to protect themselves about a lot of things. In World War II, they learned how to put a round of mortar that was not taught in school. A GI would sit on his helmet and he'd put the mortar between his legs and then he would just swivel around giving a 360 degree ring of fire with mortars. That wasn't taught in school. That was improvised in combat by veterans who've been there. Who are you talking to? Be sure you're talking to people who have already been through trouble and pain with children, with marriage, with money, with health. They'll help you. God's got a big support system around here. You need to take advantage of it. Now, there's a fourth truth we need to remember when hard times come. Our trials are dangerous. They are. Here's what Paul says. For this reason, when we could stand it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out about your faith. I was afraid that maybe the tempter had tempted you and all of our efforts had been in vain. So Satan tempts us to drop out during our trials. Paul knew that was a possibility, sure is, which is why he was so worried about these young Thessalonian believers. How does the devil tempt us in hard times? I can think of maybe three obvious answers, maybe there are some more to that question. First, he tempts us to believe that God is not good. 
doubt God's goodness. He whispers in our ear, God has forsaken you. He doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you, or this wouldn't be happening. That's a lie. Second, he tempts us to retaliate against others with anger and resentment. This is one of his favorite tools in hard times, especially when it's problems with friends, family members, etc. And the third is that he tempts us to give in to despair and to discouragement. Maybe we're sick, feel like we'll never get well again. Maybe we've just gone through a divorce, we feel rejected and alone. Perhaps we've lost a job and feel I'm probably now not qualified to do anything else. All those lead to act of desperation, and it, it can make us give up our faith in God, and we get off track. Maybe we go off the rails and start making some dumb choices. And that's what Paul was fearing for the Thessalonians. He worried that under pressure, these new Christians would crumble and give up on God. Folks, give up on the government. Give up on your mother-in-law. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on God. He will never leave you or forsake you, ever. And all, even though you're in the midst of trouble, 7,457 promises in God's Word are yes and amen right in the middle of hell. Yes and amen. And you need to shout it out because the enemy will fill your mind with doubt and fear and unbelief and accusation. Even Job tried to accuse God. God said, dude, I am not your problem. Satan is your problem. And a couple of bad friends, too. They weren't helping you at all. So hard times will eventually wear anybody down. Little by little, we lose the joy we once had. Under pressure, we start to give in to bad habits, wrong attitudes, wrong choices, and then we begin a long slide in the wrong direction. You know, simply having Bible knowledge won't save you from the consequences of wrong decisions. You can become captive to any vice if you respond wrong in hard times. It's true. You know, once in a while, we'll, I hadn't seen you in a while. Well, I, yeah, I got laid off or one of the kids uh, was arrested for drugs. And I said, well, what, why would you drop out? You know, the best time to come to God is especially when you're in trouble. Run to God. Don't run from God. And you need support. Don't drop out because of hard times, but so many people do. And then the fifth thing, he says, our trials are productive. Timothy's just now come to us, he says, from you and brought good news about your faith and about your love. He told us you always have good memories about us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. So Paul says we can overcome our trials by faith. What kind of faith did Paul have in mind? Let me give you a few. Faith in God's character. He is good. He never makes a mistake. I may not understand it, but I know he's good. Faith in God's word. It is true. No matter what I see around me, I walk on his word, right? Faith in God's purpose, that he is conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. And faith in God's promise, that he will never leave me or forsake me even when I feel abandoned and alone. I'm not. This, the battle is always right here in the mind. Don't doubt God's love. If he put his son on a cross for you, he's not walking out on you in stage four cancer or a divorce or a layoff in a job. There are natural broken things in the world we all have to face. 
But about God, you don't doubt one thing. That's why Job said, though he slay me, I will trust in him. And boy, it was kind of like a drop kick to the devil. And the Lord must have loved it because he couldn't read the book of Job. It hadn't been written. He was just walking in his faith in the goodness of God. And there's faith in God's presence, that he is with us all the time and in the darkest moments of our life. There's faith in God's power. He can deliver me from every test or temptation. There's one other kind of faith, before we close, that will help us in hard times. And that's the shared faith of God's people. A lot of believers struggle because they want to handle their problems alone. Maybe they're embarrassed, I don't know, or ashamed. But God never intended that you should walk through a lonely valley by yourself. Didn't he say it's not good that man be alone? Two are better than one, for they have a great reward for their labor. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Psalm 68, God sets the solitary in families. God wants you networked together with a support group. If you're having a hard time keeping your head above water, tell somebody else. Don't fight the battle alone. Let the Lord minister to you through the resources of the body of Christ. There are probably people in every situation who have already been through what you're going through, and they can give you encouragement. Sometimes I'll get a phone call. Maybe one of our guys is facing prostate cancer. So I give him the name and number, plus I make the call and get them to call him so he can talk to guys who have been on that journey, what they expect, what, what's it like, what are, the, what are the pros, what are the cons, in order to give him some hope and some encouragement. If, I don't know, I tell this all the time, but if I were a girl and I was going to have my first baby, I wasn't going to be talking to any little celebrity, hot body, no stretch mark girl about it. <laughs> I'm going to be talking to somebody like got about five kids, looks like she's been run over with an 18-wheeler with some stretch marks. I want to tell me what I'm going to face. What's it like? How bad is it going to hurt? How long is it going to take? And Right? Wouldn't you want to know? I want to talk to somebody with proven experience about it. Don't we have support groups for AA, Alcohol Anonymous? Yes, we do. We have all kinds of support groups for addictive behavior. We've got uh, uh, cancer survivor groups to give encouragement and support to people now facing that battle. Well, who in the world are you as a believer to think you can fix this, solve this, or be strong in this alone? You need people. You need people. Boy, you got to have folks around you. As the Beatles sang, help, I need somebody. I still love that song. When I was young ago, much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any way. But now I'm older and not so self-assured. I changed my mind. I need you like I never did before. <laughs> yeah, you find out you're not bulletproof. And uh, it's amazing. I remember a military experience where they put you in ice water and they time you to see your endurance. And then they just put one of your comrades, one of your buddies beside you, just outside the water, just beside you. The time of endurance doubled. You can go stronger, longer with support. One person can run faster, two people can run farther. So if you want to run fast, run alone. If you're going to go farther, run together. Two are better than one, right? Life is better together. Get in a connect group. Get in a small group. 
build some friendships. You may not need them right now, but you will need them. And I'm telling you, when I went through that chemical reaction to my central nervous system after that shoulder surgery, I tell you what, I didn't want to be alone. And that's me. That's so un-me not, that, that I wanted somebody around, even though you didn't have to say anything. I didn't want to be by myself. I wanted somebody to come by. I needed help. And the support just by people being there was encouraging to me. I didn't feel alone. And all of that was chemically going on in my body and the enemy using it just to put all kinds of weird thoughts in your head. But having lots of friendships really becomes strong, whether it's a tragedy or whether you're fighting a disease or a major problem or heartbreak in your life. You just don't want to be alone. I don't want to have to go find you and discover now you're in a mess. We got phones. Call somebody. Pick up the phone. Tell somebody, tell your group leader, get in a group. I know it's the Lone Star State, but that's stupid. The enemy will pick you off when you're alone. You don't do that. Don't, don't try to do it by yourself. You'll make bad choices. Verse 7 and 8 reveal another way in which our trials are productive. He says, therefore, brothers, in our distress and persecution, we were encouraged because of your faith. Right? For now, we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. So here's the final truth about hard times we all need to know. We never suffer alone. We don't. Our friends are watching us to see how we're going to respond to tragedy. And they want to know if what we believe is real enough in a hard time. And further in the distance, others are watching what we go through. Many unbelievers who just wonder, is Christ real? They don't know. They're not sure. And maybe they've read the Bible, know something about it. Maybe they haven't. But they're watching to see how we respond to mistreatment, malicious accusation, sickness, the loss of a job, the end of a marriage, a career setback, or a financial collapse. And from the shadows, they watch in our suffering to see if what we have is real or not. It's not just you. Even in a hospital, well, God will bring nurses and doctors or physicians around, and they could be on assignment. God's got you there. For you're all enamored with you, and God says, I've got me a believer as a witness, a representative to somebody that's hard to get to. But you're right in the middle of them, and your strength and faith and optimism and hope and encouragement in this terrible setback is going to strengthen them, and you may never know it. That's where God sometimes just jerks you up by the hair and says, I'm going to put you over here in this ward with these nurses. I got a couple of gals over here and a guy that really I'm working with, and they're not doing so good, and I'm going to put you right there. And then we're over there screaming, why me? Why? I know James Brown saying, try me, but we're singing, why me? Why me? Come on, we've all had those thoughts. In this case, the great apostle himself was strengthened from the courage of those new believers. I don't know about you, but when I see somebody do something brave, it encourages me. Straighten up, strengthen up. Come on, you can make it through this. And although he had come to minister to them, by standing firm in hard times, they were ministering to Paul. So Paul is saying, I can face my trial because I see how well you are facing yours. You know, many people are going through hard times in here right now. 
In the last few weeks, I've heard about prodigal children, aging parents, worries about the future, divorce, breast cancer, an infant with a serious medical condition, Christians uh, dealing with doubt, fear. Some have some lingering bitterness. God has ordained that your trials are part of His plan to make you like Jesus. There are no shortcuts, none, to spiritual maturity. You don't get to pass, you don't go and get $200. Paul says, he knows the way I take. Job says, he knows the way I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth like gold. You can have an easy life or you can have a deep faith, but you can't have both. There's no gold without the fiery furnace. I've been in South African gold mines deep in the earth, and I've watched them mine hundreds of tons of ore to get an ounce of gold. And the only way to get the gold is put it in the fire. And you might not know this, a little trivia. I stood in front of the burning furnace and watched liquid gold come out, pour it into a gold bar, 99.99% pure. At that time, the marketable rate was $1 million. I, I picked that sucker up myself and held it and drew my fingernails across it. See if I could get a little bit of it. But I put it back down because they got armed guards everywhere. But I actually held a million dollar solid gold bar. But the process for that little bar was enormous. And to make us like Jesus, just kind of like him, it takes a lot of fire and heat, days in the spiritual gym, lots of workouts, some tribulation, or you'll just be insane. You'll be irrelevant to anybody. You won't be able to help anybody. So God knows what he's doing. I just trust him. I trust his character. He knows best. I will never allow more on you than you're able to bear but will with that test make a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. If God is the architect and creator and he designed you, it, you won't collapse like that bridge in Miami. You will not. You will not suffer an architectural collapse because God made you. Now, somebody else may not be able to take what's upon you, but I've always said, if God allows it in my life, I can take it because he promised I will not allow more on you than you're able to bear. Somebody needs to hear that. You're in a place and you think, I just can't bear anymore. Don't say that. He'll show you you can. I don't even pray that anymore. Oh, Lord, I can't take another day. Oh, really? Watch. I bet you can take a whole week. Watch. <laughs> don't, don't do that. He's the structural engineer. Our hard times are designed to bring us closer to the Lord. You know, weeping may endure for a night, but joy's coming in the morning. And for some of you, you keep that hope alive. Let us therefore endure our trials with grace and courage, knowing that in the end the clouds will part, the sun will shine again. Come on, folks, fear not. We have a great God. He loves us more than we can know. Look to Jesus and find the strength you need. And when the trial is over, you'll come forth like gold, and you will be able to bring comfort and encouragement to others as well. And you're going to be dynamite tough. You're going to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Amen and amen. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.